Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from, head to a thing or two hq.com to subscribe to our newsletter and to sign up for Secret Menu, which is our jazzy new hub for members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. And as a reminder, we are offering free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two hq.com. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, it helps other people find out about us and we would be so grateful. So today, yeah, we are talking about boiled potatoes and what we are <laughs> watching on television. I think very natural pairing um, that totally people come natural. to expect from us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boiled potatoes um, doesn't sound depressing at all. <laughs> doesn't bring to mind the Irish family. No, no ma'am. <laughs> when I mentioned wanting to talk about boiled potatoes, you were like, oh, I have things to say about that. <laughs> I, so, that's not what I said. I said I had boiled potatoes for dinner last night. <laughs> Happily. And I did. I love boiled potatoes. <laughs> Specifically. <All right. laughs> To make a case for boiled potatoes, what did you have them with? I had, I really like boiled new potatoes, which were like any small potato. And then I just tossed them with olive oil and salt and ideally parsley, sometimes dill. Correct. Um, But I find an herb to be helpful. I really like them with seafood. Yes. I don't, I don't know why I don't like them as much with like a meat dish or, but um, like as a side for seafood, I'm so in. Do you like it specifically with like a saucy seafood dish or does it have to be saucy? Because I was thinking you meant like shrimp or mussels or something that, I don't know. For some reason, I couldn't tell you why, but in like after Cam was born in those months, I was constantly craving and eating a dinner of roasted salmon with boiled potatoes and Brussels sprouts and just like salt and lemon and olive oil. And I could, it was not a saucy situation, but that, that meal will forever make me think of of the infant stage of life. Fascinating. You, you see, you do have a lot of thoughts on boiled potatoes <laughs> and even the, even evocative memories related to boiled potatoes. 
Well, the other thing I want to say about boiled potatoes is something that my dad taught me, which is that boiled potatoes are the best vehicle for French fried potatoes or like any type of fried potato. Like, yeah. So this is the thing. This is, I think the real thing that I learned during the last couple of weeks that has been not game changing, but a small (laughs) victory. A small victory. Yeah. A small victory, which is, it's really all about leftovers. It's like, yes, you're going to boil the potatoes for dinner for your salmon or whatever it is, but then you're going to have leftovers with which you can make then a roasted potato. You're halfway to like a perfect roasted potato or like a hash brown or a fry. And then Julia Tertian has this recipe in her book, Small Victories, called Kind of Sort of Patatas Bravas, which have this like really delicious, like Spanish Thousand Islandy dressing. It's mayonnaise and ketchup and vinegar, red wine vinegar and garlic and smoked paprika. And it is so good. Thomas and I also recently made like a roasted potato with burrata Mm. on top, just like roasted potatoes boiled, then roasted, then burrata on top. Wow. Excellent, enthusiastic endorsement. And a niçoise salad situation feels very right for right now. I mean, that's the other thing is that boiled potatoes cold are so good. Um, yes. And they just are such an easy, like you're halfway to lunch, or you could just eat just that for lunch. Totally. Like take some boiled potatoes, make a potato salad or a niçoise salad, open a can of tuna, throw some capers in maybe and whatever veggie scraps you have. And it looks so much fancier than, I don't know, what I had for lunch today, which was, you know, sardines out of a can uh, with a side of peach. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) Mm. We Um, need to grocery shop. I'm not sure if it's (laughs) obvious. The other thing is that potatoes last for so long in the pantry. So they're That's a good, the whole thing. Yeah, they're a very good veggie to stockpile. A friend recently was doing the whole 30 and she aler- alerted the group text that white potatoes are now on the whole 30, which I thought was just like such a lulzy <laughs> alert to get as, as someone who like doesn't follow what it is or is not on the whole 30. So I sought out the announcement for this and it is kind of amazing they're announcing that they're like kicking off their next phase of the whole 30. And it says, we have one big announcement today. We could give you the whole backstory or we could just cut to the chase and tell you what's what white potatoes are now, are now whole is, 30 approved. Does that mean that other types of potatoes aren't approved or that they were already on there? Like are sweet I'm, potatoes? I'm yellow? pretty sure sweet potatoes were already, okay. were already on there. I think the thing is, is that white potatoes, it was a question of whether they were just like a trash starch or not. Yeah. yeah. So if you read further in this article, you will learn that French fries and potato chips are still not allowed, which, okay. duh. But apparently that is kind of what was keeping white potatoes off the list to begin with. Their close association with French fries and potato chips. I mean, you could French fry a sweet potato just as easily. Well, I think you're not supposed to have fried anything, really. I mean, fair. Yeah. I do feel like that's a huge development for Whole30 and I am really excited for them. Claire, they certainly, they know. Congratulations to the Whole30 community. I am thrilled for you guys. This brings me one step closer to doing Whole30 and still 99 steps away. (laughs) Have a Niswa Sala to celebrate, everyone. (laughs) That's right. All right. So the other thing we're going to do is talk about what we've been watching on TV. And film. We're really just on our computers. It's all on our TV. (laughs) Well, on your your computer because you... I don't have a TV. You're a holdout. I've been watching it all on my TV. A holdout? Does that imply that at some point I'm going to get a TV? (laughs) (laughs) 
I guess I was trying to frame you as a Luddite, Luddite of some sort. Yeah. And that yeah. maybe that was unfair. One movie that we both watched that was so good and that went to Sundance and like, I feel like won awards and was just really well received there. It's called The Fight. It's a documentary. It's produced by Kerry Washington and Peggy Drexler. And it's, it basically attracts four ACLU lawyers as they take on cases against the Trump administration. So there's four cases. Um, one is taking on the citizenship question on the census. One is taking on abortions for unaccompanied immigrant minors in detention. Another one is taking on the transgender military ban. And then the other is taking on child separation at the border. And it is so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, you know what the only hard thing about it was for me, and maybe this actually does relate to me not having a television, mm. um, is seeing Trump speak because I don't, I only, I mostly listen to his remarks. I either read them or I listen to them in a podcast and I never really have to see his face saying it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it lucky was a you. little bit, yeah, wasn't, isn't it lucky me? <laughs> and it was a bit jarring to be like, that's, the face of a man saying these terrible things. Like I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, that, I mean, the whole thing is hard because it's, it's of course just taking on totally devastating policies that are having really terrible consequences for people. You follow these four ACLU lawyers sort of from the beginning of them taking on these cases and you really start to understand like how these cases come together, what's involved. How they get built. Yeah. Um, what actually the ACLU does, which I certainly knew, and I don't think this like taught me anything new, but it it certainly illuminated for me what is involved in an organization like that, um, and also what's involved in taking on the life of being a civil rights lawyer, which was um, just really really moving. Um, I could not believe that these lawyers and that the ACLU allowed cameras into these situations because they're so high pressure. At one point, you see one of the lawyers, Dale Ho, who takes on the the citizenship question on the census. He's about to go in front of the Supreme Court for the first time ever. And he's rehearsing in his tiny little hotel room. And the cameras are all up in his face. And he keeps screwing it up. And he's like, the rehearsal is not going well. You're stressed for him. You're really stressed for him. (laughs) He's so nervous. They ask him in the middle of the rehearsal. They're like, have you done this before? Have you gone to the Supreme Court? And he's like, no, this is my first time. Um, And so the tension- And like, honestly, I didn't think I would be there and especially not for something like this pivotal. Yeah. Um, it's, It's so fascinating to watch and it just gives you such a understanding of the way that these cases change the course of history. And it's also interesting because one of the things that I, I knew but is was interesting to watch is that they can't just take on these cases like on behalf of the ACLU. They can't say like, we don't like this policy, so we're going to go fight it. They have there to, has to be a defendant. Ha- they have to find someone or someone has to come to them and say, I want you to fight this case on behalf of me personally. And so in the case of the transgender military ban, for example, they go out and like sort of find the the right person to fight it on behalf of. And I thought that was a really interesting aspect of this whole story. The Michelle Obama podcast is now out on Spotify. The series brings listeners inside the former first lady's most candid and personal conversations, showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to open up, and to focus on what matters most. 
My hope is that this series can be a place to explore meaningful topics together and sort through so many of the questions we're all trying to answer in our own lives, Michelle Obama said. Perhaps most of all, I hope this podcast will help listeners open up new conversations and hard conversations with the people who matter most to them. That's how we can build more understanding and empathy for one another. Episode subjects focus on the relationships that shape us, from siblings and close friends to partners, parents, and mentors, to our relationship with ourselves and our health. Joining the former First Lady will be an array of special guests, including President Barack Obama, Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris, and Dr. Sharon Malone. Listen free at spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. Spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. We wanted to tell you about one of our very favorite podcasts that feels in so many ways kind of like a sister podcast of ours. I don't know if that's a thing, but if, if, if thing. that's a thing, if that's a yeah. thing, this feels like a sister podcast of ours. The podcast is called Everything is Fine, and it's a podcast for women on the other side of 39, which we are not yet on the other side of 39. We will be soon enough, but we still very much enjoy this podcast and honestly wish that so many more people were having these conversations. Through candid, insightful, and often very funny conversations, the hosts of Everything is Fine explore why it is both the very best and the very worst time of a woman's life. Everything is Fine is hosted by Lucky Magazine founding editor Kim France and podcaster Tally Abacassis. And each episode digs deep into the identity shift that comes with navigating what can be an alternately weird and liberating stage of life. Tally and Kim interview guests from the media and entertainment worlds, and they combine light stuff like fashion over 40 and beauty tips with big subjects like menopause and anger. We're so grateful to Kim and Tally for sharing the stories that they do on this podcast. It is a really great listen, empathic, insightful, and most of all, entertaining. So subscribe to Everything is Fine wherever you listen to podcasts. I also really liked the things that it highlighted about the inner workings of the ACLU or just, you know, the relationships in any organization that you just don't get a full picture of, of course, and related to the transgender military ban. One of the lawyers working on that case, Chase Strangio, is himself trans, but he doesn't have the experience arguing at this at, you know, this level and doesn't feel comfortable arguing a case like this because of his lack of experience. But his uh, sort of colleague, Joshua Block, who does end up arguing the case, would prefer for it to be a trans person arguing it uh, because that feels more right. But you know, Chase articulates that well, I'm the only trans lawyer at the ACLU and that in itself is a problem. And that's something we have to work to solve. They also talk a lot about the role of the ACLU and that the job is to protect the rights of everyone, which includes people that you don't agree with. And that that poses a lot of issues and and posed and created a good amount of controversy, especially around Charlottesville, just internally of having to do work on behalf of people that you think are just doing terrible things, but who, you know, have, have deserve the protections of free speech, et cetera. Because in Charlottesville, Virginia, the, you know, white supremacist far-right nationalists who wanted to um, march there were originally told that they couldn't. Yeah. Um, and ACLU took on that case and won them the right to have that... Uh, to protest. To, yeah. to protest and to march, which ultimately, you know, resulted in in the death of at least one person who was run over by a car. And so you do get a glimpse into the real turmoil and tension that that caused internally at the ACLU. And um, that was definitely really interesting. 
you spoke about this as it related to Dale Ho, but I just really like the way that they captured that these lawyers are all real people with real lives who are leaving their kids on the weekends and missing birthday parties and, you know, putting so much of their lives out there in order to argue these cases and to make these changes, but also that they're like bumbling and, you know, that one of the lawyers, Lee Gellert, there are just multiple scenes of him really struggling with technology and like not being able to charge his phone and not understanding how it blocks into his computer. And the idea of presenting these people as like just real, just real people felt like such a nice anti-perfectionist approach to take of like, you don't have to be this like perfect superhuman person in order to create this change. You can be, you can have your flaws. You can be, (laughs) you can be someone who maybe doesn't understand how to work Zoom, but can also (laughs) argue in front of the Supreme Court. And, and ultimately really change, change things. I also have to call out this scene that is like 30 seconds long at most and kind of not particularly relevant to the rest of the movie, but I'm so glad they included it. And it's when Lee, that where you were just talking about, needs to charge his phone and doesn't have the right cord. And he approaches this woman who uh, is younger than him. Like I would guess he's in his maybe... 50s or 60s and she's in her 20s or 30s and he approaches her because he's like do you have a charging cord and like basically can you show me how to charge my phone and it's so obvious that this is not the first time that he's asked her to do this <laughs> and she is so over it visibly and, peeved <laughs> and he's clearly like a you know a bfd in the office and she's probably not and i so admired this woman for standing her ground in the most respectful <laughs> way of being like you are not going to derail my day once again because you can't figure out how to charge your phone and it wasn't like she was being terrible to him and he wasn't being so terrible to her so much as just like did you have to ask the one young woman in the office type of thing and it was just it was a wonderful moment of like even the ACLU has these terrible classic office politics moments. <laughs> and hundred percent. And I was really, no, and I, for that I moment. just really appreciated seeing those things. <laughs> Me too. Really appreciated Me too. seeing those things. I mean, overall, <sighs> this was just, I think, a, an important watch now to be reminded that, you know, we read all of these statistics and see all of these big stories, but there are real personal stories um, and, and lives that are impacted by all of these things. And it's just such a moving thing to watch that made me just want to like quit everything and start studying for law school because like this is all you and Kim K. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, The other thing we have both watched along with so many other people is the wonderful TV show, I May Destroy You. Yes, it is so dark, but it's, I don't, it's not hard to watch, but I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I, one is that the pacing is really brilliant and yeah. sort of moves you along in a way where it's not as if it's like blowing past things, but it's um, sort of allows you to keep going. It forces you to keep going. I think that the show does a really good job of acknowledging the ways that these incidents and that sort of aftermath of trauma is woven into the day-to-day of a person's life. And that, you know, for both Arabella and for Kwame, you get the sense of, okay, you have these flashbacks, you have these moments, you have these things you really have to work through that might come up at predictable moments. It might be, you know, when you're at a police station rehashing your experience, or it might be just being like in a room with the door locked. And 
um, but that's not your whole experience. And that outside of that, there are the, there's, uh, there's humor and there's joy and there's like time with friends. And that just feels very real and natural and also just helps you feel like you're not in this show that is just so entrenched in the trauma of sexual assault. I think that's really, really right. And I think it's what works in general. Uh, it works on a lot of levels about the show. And I think it's what makes the show really different from other shows about sexual assault. And to sort of like set the stage, if you haven't watched it, it is a show about a group of friends essentially who experience different forms of sexual assault or, um, you know, sort of complications around the idea. Or sexual trauma. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sexual trauma and like um, questions around consent. And, you know, it, but it feels not just about that, but that's certainly sort of se- the, the central theme of it. But what I think is really interesting about it is, as you said, it shows their entire lives. And so it isn't in the way that other shows or movies that are really focused on that, just looking at it in a vacuum of like, will the case be solved? Or like, what are the psychological repercussions of it? It is showing the whole life and it is showing that like, as this case drags on in the background, this person is still going about their day to day, and um, it's not it's just affecting about getting some people. things a lot, and it's yeah. not affecting some things as much. And those and the things that it affects and doesn't affect aren't necessarily exactly what you would expect, right? Either. Right. And it's also, as opposed to a lot of shows, it's not centering the investigation, right? Like it's yes. showing the person's life who also dealt with this things, and it's following her and her friends, but it's not following the police investigation, which just sort of like weaves in and out of the narrative. And so I it's think- It's in the background. It's yeah. going on in the background. You're getting updates. Exactly. Like you're getting um, progress reports, but that's it. Exactly. And then in general, it's just incredible writing. It is so incredibly funny at times. It also sort of does this thing that I think is becoming more common now. And it's certain, like it was reminiscent of Master of None for me, where there is a through line throughout the entire season, but each episode feels like it could stand on its own. And some episodes in particular really feel sort of like thematic and like they are their own. Like the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of Master of None, a lot of moments in this show reminded me of the Aziz Ansari scandal where a woman... The real life one, not... Yeah, the real one. (laughs) The Mel Mel one, yeah. Yeah, where, right, where someone called him out about an sexual... Uh, encounter she had had with him that she felt was inappropriate and that had sort of like crossed the lines of consent. Many people came out on the other side and said like, that wasn't, it was very confusing for everyone. And like the thing that was most confusing for me about it was that everyone felt so much pressure to have an opinion about it. (laughs) Yeah. And we all thought we had to, we had to really take a stand on an experience we did not witness. And I was like truly imagining all of Twitter laying up, laying in bed at night, like unable to sleep because they're like, I haven't decided yet what side of this argument I fall on. And I was like, you just can keep your mouth shut about it. You can just be just fine. Sh- just sh- you can just be fine to be not sure how you feel about it. And I actually think this show kind of takes that approach. I don't think that they're like equivocating around like, you know, it, around the idea of consent. But I think what no. they are doing is showing that it is complexities of understanding. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's also showing that all of the characters are flawed and that there's no, um, there's, there's not a lot of like straight up good and straight up evil, um, in this show. And I appreciate that. And it, it doesn't feel like a very judgy show. There's one character in particular, um, who comes in sort of mid season who, 
was involved in, in when they were in high school in a sort of like questionable episode of her own when it, when it came to this sexual encounter. Um, and she behaved poorly, but then you see, you learn the ways that she was wronged. Yeah. Yes. And so you just start to understand, like, it's impossible to have an opinion on this. She was terrible. And yet she was treated terribly. And like, how, how do you, uh, categorize somebody like that as good or bad? You can't. Well, and to put it in the context of the work that she's doing now, which is to lead groups, to support groups around sexual assault survivors. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much to Caviar for sponsoring this week's episode. One of my favorite recent meals actually came to me by way of Caviar. Um, it was a restaurant in my neighborhood called Cafe Rudy, and it's French Senegalese. And I was realizing I was e- as I was eating it that I don't know if I've ever had Senegalese food, let alone French Senegalese food. Thrilled by the opportunity. Yeah, we're not traveling much these days, so you're really getting to just travel through, through your mouth. <laughs> through my mouth. That's yeah. exactly right. Try caviar. Tra- travel through your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's the new tagline. You're welcome, caviar. Get the Caviar app and you can get the food you want. Their curated list of options offer quality meals with the convenience of in-app ordering. There are a ton of delivery apps out there. You all know them, but Caviar is the go-to place to find local restaurants that can be delivered right to your doorstep. They have so many options that aren't available elsewhere, places that you wouldn't expect to have delivery, they have delivery availability for. Caviar is available in over 25 major US cities and there are plenty of options to choose from. With the Caviar app, you can get the food you actually want. So get the Caviar app, get delivery, get food you want. And just for our listeners, Caviar is offering $10 off an order of $20 or more. All you have to do is put in the offer code a thing or two at checkout. Remember, that's $10 off a purchase of $20 or more with the offer code a thing or two. I'm personally going to be using this. I will probably... Same, I'm fl- <laughs> I flagged it. <laughs> I feel like there... I. We'll definitely use it on an order from Rice and Miso, which has been my go-to lately. And I'm so excited that they're on there. So you're going to download the Caviar app on the App Store, on the Google Play Store, and you're going to use the offer code a thing or two. You'll get $10 off a purchase of $20 or more. You will also be supporting this show and we will be so grateful to you. such a good show. Anything else you want to say about it? Um, you know, I, the, one of my favorite scenes in the whole show was weirdly around the, or has been weirdly around the police investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, just the relationship that she develops, that Arabella develops with the cops and the sort of like interaction she has with them. And I sort of loved that. I have to say that I had, was kind of surprised that she went to the cops mm-hmm. at all, which maybe is yeah. totally fucked to feel. Um, I mean, I, I understand. Well, she's really self-destructive in so many ways. And she, like, at a lot of turns does the thing where that you wish she wouldn't do, whether it's, yeah. like, drugs or romantic entanglements or whatever it is. And so I do think you can imagine this character just ignoring the problem, because she's also in denial about it in a lot of ways. And you I think see that's it. the, I think yeah. that's maybe the thing. I'm surprised that she, that she was not as in denial as she seemed and enough to go to the cops, I right. guess. Yeah. yeah. No, it, I mean, 
at the same time she's going to the cops, she's also seeing this therapist who every time the therapist calls it like her assault, she's like, well, you can't call it an assault. It's like this memory that happened in my head, but I don't know even if you can call it a memory because maybe I made it up. I'm not sure because she was, yes. she was, yes. uh, she, she was drugged. And so she's not clear on what the incident was. Um, yes. So yeah, it's, it's weird. And I agree that her, the relationship she develops with the investigators is charming and also smart because it, it shows the way that she's sort of deflecting having to deal with this thing by striking up this sort of jokey relationship with them that is- She's like, of, oh, we have rapport. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And yeah, I just, I think the the way that the cops play into it, again, is so, it's like the opposite of Law & Order SVU. It's not about the cops, right? Like it's about Arabella and her friends and Kwame. And um, I think that's a sort of nice reversal. Another show that feels about- like a lot about friendship and is in some ways significantly lighter, though touches on a lot of real issues is shrill. I really liked season one for some reason. Season two was doing it for me much more. Season two is even better than season one. I don't know if it's just watching it in this time and like needing to laugh or like, I don't know. (laughs) I was thinking about it because I think the show's so good and it's really well-written. But what I realized in retrospect is that season one just feels almost like whole hog exposition in retrospect. Like it's just setting up all the characters and all of the relationships. And then in season two, it really runs with them and develops them in a way that is so And you get so much more nuance in season two, I felt. Some of the most compelling parts of this season for me were rooted in the mother-daughter relationships, both between Annie and her mom, Vera, and Fran and her mom. And I just... Look, I don't watch so, so much TV to really make this bold a statement, but... You watch a a fair amount. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think we get the kind... These particular kinds of mother-daughter relationships on TV, which are not the like BFF Gilmore Girls or Jane the Virgin vibes. It's maybe more like Lorelai and Emily Gilmore, perhaps, where it's complicated and it's contentious and they really don't know how to reach or connect with each other, except that sometimes they do. And I just related to um, a lot of it so much. There is a scene where Annie and Ryan go to dinner with her parents. So Annie is the main character and Ryan's her boyfriend. Yes, A.D. Bryant. Mm -hmm. Um, And her boyfriend go to dinner with Annie's parents for the first time. And there is a scene where Annie's mom, Vera, doesn't want bread on the table because she doesn't want to eat it, but everybody else does want bread. And there's this whole like drawn out back and forth. And I was falling out of my skin. Like I basically had to put a blanket over my head. It was just so intense. And at the end of it, Ryan's like, that wasn't embarrassing. Like there was nothing wrong with that. It was fine. And obviously I just had this like, no, no, of course it was embarrassing. Of course it was terrible. (laughs) I was so, I was like really shocked when I read your note about this. I shouldn't have been, but I felt the exact same way. And our mothers are not (laughs) the same. Our mothers are not all, but it was so well done. And I agree with you that it is not, listen, mothers are portrayed as embarrassing all the time, but this was such a specific type of embarrassing that I related to so much. It was, and I don't know how, it's not that it's subtle, but it's not the most obvious form of embarrassment, right? But like your mother doing this thing that you perceive as socially sort of unacceptable or rude or awkward 
and selfish. And then it's like part, it's like, it's like a thing that happens all the time. It's yes. just like a, a, a tick. It just like comes out at any dinner table conversation or whatever. And you're trying to figure out the most appropriate way to like acknowledge to the other people at the table that you are not comfortable participatory. with it, yeah. participatory <laughs> in it without totally lashing out at your mother in a public space. It was all- As a 37-year-old woman. Yes. It was Uh all so incredibly relatable for me. As was then afterwards being like, I cannot believe. And then having your partner being like, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was- It was it was so fine. I get a lot of it was fine from Thomas yes. in those sort of moments. Yeah. It was so incredibly spot on. And also the mom being like, I have no idea what I could how this would offend you was yes. also familiar to me. It was nah, ding. So <laughs> incredibly well done. Um and fascinating to me that we both related to it uh, so <laughs> so viscerally. If you're going to watch one episode of this season, there is an episode that has that certain like standalone quality, mm-hmm. which is the wedding episode where Annie and her bestie Fran, who's played by Lolly Edifope, road trip to Fran's cousin's wedding with her Nigerian family. And the cousin that's getting married is very much on the life path that Fran thinks her mom wants her to be on. And that Fran's mom, I think it's fair to say, like does want her to be on to a certain extent. I really, they, it was handled really nicely, especially the relationship between Fran and her cousin. Her cousin was not a bitch and was not like rubbing it in Fran's face at any point and was like, you know, you're the coolest one in this family. Like, I don't know why anybody, she's like, I just happen to want to like go to med school. Like, I guess that's like lucky for my parents, but like, that's genuinely who I am and you're way cooler than me. So like, don't worry about it. I would really like to see Fran get a spinoff. Fran's incredible. And she is, I mean, she was really charming in the first season, but she really gets like her coming into her own for sure. Yeah. In this season. And she's just so well done and, and charming and you want to be her best friend. The other thing about this particular episode is that you will just miss weddings so much. Like I, I was just like, yes. I want to go to a wedding. Yeah. I, mean, I cried when she when in the scene where eventually Fran and her mother make up and they're doing a dance together. And I was like, I don't know if I'm crying because it's like this sweet mother-daughter moment or because I miss dancing with friends dancing at weddings. So much. <laughs> I was like, I just want to go to a wedding and celebrate love so and badly. Dance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was hard for me. Um, the other episode that is so good is there's a sort of girl boss episode that's clearly uh, an amalgamation of a, a bunch of different girl bosses. And she's at this women's empowerment conference. And at some point the line uh, gets said, women are having a moment. And I loved it so much. <laughs> and it's also in that in the same smart way that the entire show is nuanced because while Annie is totally sort of disgusted at the entire thing and calling out the classism and sort of all, all the various blind spots of this conference, she also meets someone who she feels really inspired by and um, sees the- And who's gained a lot from the relationships that she's yes, developed there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to get more fallout from that conference in season three, and I'm I'm ready for it. whenever we get season three. I, I mean, so. who can say? Who can say? So. The Ruthie assistant character played by Patty Harrison is also incredible, incredible. and just so insane and nutty and wonderful and yeah, sharp. I would like more Patty Harrison in my life. The entire um, show is worth it for this character, Ruthie. It's she's just an absolutely incredible character and. 
yet most of the supporting characters on this show need their own spinoff. I'm also, Calendar Cody's has the most incredible personal style. He's like the cool guy in the office. And I was just like, I want all his clothes. Um, There's just a lot to love and a lot to get invested in. And just a lot of laughs. I'm just in for the laughs. Totally. Okay, your your television obsession. Let's go. Love on the Spectrum. It is so good. It is a reality dating show about people on the autism spectrum. And, and but I also feel like it helps to think of it as a docu series or something yes. because dating show for me I don't watch The Bachelor um, mm-hmm. and no offense to Bachelor Nation but I'm never going to and this was wonderful and I loved it. But then I also feel like on the flip side of that some genius was like I know how we can get people to care about people with disabilities. Let's put them on a reality dating show. People like those. No, I don't <laughs> disagree. Yeah. I think I think we just need to be cognizant of both audiences. <laughs> yes. For this totally. show. Every person on this show is so lovable. Um, I was particularly obsessed with this one guy, Michael, who is just like the most confident, funny, sort of outspoken um, gentleman whose family just totally embraces him, despite the fact that he says a lot of stuff that you're just like, maybe not socially acceptable or maybe not like what you're supposed to say. And yeah, um, it's there's so- a lot of talking about sex at the dinner table mm-hmm. and in ways that would make um, a like a family of five with like three grown, grown children, like feel somewhat uncomfortable and he just right. goes for it. He's yeah. like, he's incredibly frank. And he, like his number one priority in life is, is finding um, a romantic partner. And um, his goal is to be a husband. Yeah. And it's, he's really charming. And then you were totally obsessed as was I with Chloe. I was very charmed by Chloe. I also, I appreciate that Chloe was very open about trying to navigate her sexuality or figure out, you know, sort of where she is on a sexuality spectrum. And she identifies as bisexual, but then going on dates with guys, she was like, oh, I don't know if it, like, I don't like guys actually, or if I just don't like this guy. And it was, it was super interesting to navigate that because I haven't seen a lot of that um, yeah. be presented at all. In general, the, the like strong cells for this show there is just real romantic love. There is like legit love and romance. There is a pivotal scene with my favorite couple on the show, um, Charnay and Jimmy. And Thomas and I both cried. Um, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> a little embarrassing. Um, but, and like the moment is cheesy and it is so charming. And I was just there for it in a way that I would not have, I, I would not have been if I was not so invested in these two. I mean, I think, the thing the thing that is so genius about this show is that dating is incredibly challenging and awkward for absolutely everybody. Yes. And part of like being on the autism spectrum is that a lot of things are even more challenging or awkward. And so it's insanely relatable, even if you don't necessarily relate to the personalities themselves, you absolutely relate to the situations that they're in. And so you can't help but... Um, sort of start to think about and like understand the ways in which autism influences this situation because you can see yourself in it so easily. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a time review um, by a woman who is on the autism spectrum herself, Sarah Kershak, and she said, dating, sex, romance, and relationships might present some challenges that are unique to autistic people, but they're hard for almost everyone, which makes love a great topic through which to explore autistic experience without making us seem like an entirely alien species or adorable animals who think they're people. Um, <laughs> I that was a very, yep. a very good line. You and I talked after we watched the show a lot about 
the families in mm-hmm. general and just the support systems. And you were talking about just like how it made you think about parenting. It was so inspirational and educational for me as a parent to watch these incredibly supportive families approach embracing, educating, cheering on, and also giving independence to their autistic children. You know, some of the things that attend autism are, you know, uh, shyness or social awkwardness or um, sensitivity to certain things that it's clear that these parents can't necessarily relate to themselves. And so they're in the position of coaching their kids through these things because they really want them to, um, you know, go out and find love and and be able to have uh, a satisfying partnership. And yet in that coaching, the parents never say anything that, that sends the message, don't be yourself. Right, 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 right. And very, very much like accepting who their kids are. Yeah. And they approach it with like so much love, so much um, like acceptance of who their kids are and celebration of who their kids are and also a sense of humor, which I really appreciated. There's like so many scenes where you see the parents basically like rehearsing dates with their kids and saying like, what would you do here? And there's a real lightness in it. Like you don't see the parents like stressed out and crying and sort of at their wits end, which I am quite sure there are plenty of moments of that because there are plenty of moments of that in parenting you know, in general, it, it was a beautiful thing to see. And as someone who I know myself and I know I'm going to be inclined for my son to want to be like me in all of the ways and to think like me in all of the ways and do things the way I would do. It was nice to be reminded that, um, there's something really beautiful about just allowing your kid to be the person that they are and to, to celebrating that and, and to learning from that. I think my understanding, and again, who knows the inner workings of all of this, obviously, but my understanding is that the filmmakers were also very conscious of being really sensitive to the experiences of the people on the show and, you know, making sure that they had the space to deal with the sensitivities that you talked about. And so according to the LA Times, filming took place over five months and often spanned only a few hours a day. Crews remained limited to the same three people. So there's a comfortability um, in a sense, you know, that, that everybody being filmed knew the filmmakers. And even if that meant taking multiple breaks during a date or calling it quits, they also acknowledged that some of the people on the show who were being featured on the show were dating for the first time, which just like really ups the ante in terms of the emotional response and um, how like affect, like how this affects you. Absolutely. Like it's, I mean, it's gotta be hard for anybody to date with cameras around. So imagine oh, yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. it for the first time and, and having these challenges would make it uh, so much more challenging. And so it's, it's really fascinating to watch. And in general, I just appreciated the way it was educational around what autism looks like, but yeah. seeing it manifested across different personalities and at different sort of variations of it and hearing um, people with autism talk about how it manifests for them in their lives was educational for me and helpful. Yeah. Um, some of the criticisms of the show, um, which are outlined in this cut article that we'll link to, are that it's made for a neurotypical audience mm-hmm. like us that you know would be ben- would benefit from the education um, of a show like this versus a neurodiverse audience. That the cast or the you know people uh, on the show are largely straight, white, and middle class. Very fair. There are questions about whether it sometimes it can come off as infantilizing or too cutesy, which I think or sometimes maybe criticisms you could uh, pile onto reality shows um, or dating shows in general. And, you know, and it's only showing people dating people on the spectrum, dating other people on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that same Time Magazine review by Sarah Kershock, um, I think, puts it nicely when she says, but it's admittedly hard to untangle these concerns from my fears as an older autistic person feeling protective or overprotective of a younger of younger counterparts. It's not like reality unscripted programming about non-autistic love is a bastion of accuracy and perfectly fair depictions. Even the more earnest and straightforward ones aren't perfect. There is always the risk of misrepresentation or misinterpretation. Perhaps accepting that autistic reality show stars will be the subject to the same hazards as non-autistic ones and respecting the autonomy of those who choose to participate is its own awkward step toward equality. It's good. It's good. Highly recommend watching. It will take you uh, on all all of the emotional journeys. uh, And it's just, yeah, full full of love and humanity and wonderfulness, wonderful personalities. If there's anything else you all think we should be watching, email us podcast at a thing or two hq.com. DM us at a thing or two hq on Instagram. Call Tell us. us your thoughts on these shows too. We want to hear hear what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's all right, the show. That's show. Bye. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.